Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. A recent Lifeway research study, 2019 to be exact, uh, they, stud- they took a survey of a thousand, uh, over 1,000 Christians who regularly attend church, and the uh, result of this study is that 57% of those they surveyed claimed that after reading the Bible by themselves, they found it challenging and confusing to understand. So if you read the Bible by yourself and you are by yourself reading the Bible and you find it difficult to understand, just know that you are not alone. On the one hand, this kind of makes sense. The Bible is actually a small library consisting of histories, prophecies, poetries, uh, instruction, and letters written by over 40 different authors over a thousand years ago uh, to an ancient culture with an ancient language. So not understanding uh, some scripture would be understandable. But on the other hand, God has made scripture to be really clear for the overall gist and understanding of it. The overall main goal where God reveals himself and how he is going to bring order and peace and beauty back to the chaos we live in through the leader he sends, Jesus Christ, is overwhelmingly clear in Scripture. But not understanding Scripture is a little bit of a problem considering what our question is today. The question we're trying to answer today is, how do we find biblical answers to modern questions? You know, the Bible, because it was written to an ancient culture using an ancient language, even though it was inspired by God, it's still relevant today, does not mention words like abortion or racism, climate change, gun control, stem cell research, social distancing, or mask wearing. It doesn't mention any of those terms. And so a lot of times our modern questions, we are curious, how does the ancient biblical text answer those questions. And I'm here to tell you that it can answer our deepest, darkest questions, even our most confusing questions of the modern time, because it was inspired by God and because the overall gist is still abundantly clear. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't have complicated parts. I'm not saying it doesn't have confusing sections. I'm just saying if you want God's will to be revealed to you, it can happen even in this scripture. Today, as we answer the question, we're going to look in uh, the letter written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 15. Um, Somebody around, uh, I don't know, 1500 A.D. decided to put uh, numbers, chapters, and verses in the New Testament for us, and that's how we're able to find uh, what we're looking for faster. Paul was writing to a community of believers in uh, Ephesus that were experiencing persecution from the Roman government to do things they didn't want to do, um, laws that they couldn't obey and still honor Christ. They were experiencing pressure from the culture around them to join in with evil activities, what God declares evil or destructive or unhealthy. And some of them, before they had found Jesus Christ and had converted to following Him, um, lived in that evil culture where they did things that God says is unhealthy and destructive. And so now Paul is writing them to remind them to stay the course, continue on in their faith, do not compromise their faith with evil living. But in this section of Scripture, he answers something that they were going through. How do they find 
answers to questions on how to live uh, with what they were going through. And there, the answer Paul gives them is also relevant to us today. If you'll look in chapter 5, verse 15, that's where we're going to start. Now, I think we might have time to go 15 through 21, but we'll just start because point number one of this message is so long. We'll just start with a couple of verses and see how far we get. You okay with that? You okay with that at home? And if if we don't make it through all, all of it, we'll catch it up some other time. But here is... Chapter 5, verse 15. Here's how it starts. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now that phrase, understand what the Lord's will is, has caused people to have uh, fits in their lifestyles and in their relationships and even in how they live. A lot of times when we talk about as Christians, we're seeking after the Lord's will, what we're really saying is we want to know what our future holds and we want to make the best decisions so we don't make mistakes for the future. And we'll go to some incredible lengths to find out what the Lord's will is, even dabbling and using tools he says not to use. Uh, there, is a, there is a thing called Christian divination. Well, God says don't use divination to determine your next step. So he says don't use things like the horoscope or palm reading or even looking at the stars to determine what his will is. He gives us other tools to use. But sometimes Christians wanting to know the answer to their future and the answer to their question will turn to divination, and they'll, they'll put a little cover over it like it's a Christian idea. But really, it's not a tool God wants us to use. I heard about one couple. They were having an argument, and uh, the wife was going to go have a hard discussion with her husband, and uh, she knew it was going to be hard, but on the way home from work, she saw that it was cloudy out, so she said, oh, it's cloudy out. That was probably a sign from God that I shouldn't have a hard discussion with my husband tonight. Listen, that is not how God says we're to make our decisions. He says we can actually know His will, and that's going to determine how we live, which answers those modern-day questions. But He gives us a tool to use that we can understand and determine His will for us, and it's called the Bible. Now, if you have trouble understanding the Bible when you read it by yourself, this is a little bit daunting and maybe even intimidating for you. But we want to know what God's will is, and we can by looking at Scripture. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, that's the next verse, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In Scripture, foolishness is linked to this idea of uh, wisdom and foolishness is often linked to the idea of action. Whatever action you take is going to determine whether you were living foolishly or with wisdom. Dr. Bruce Waltke, who has studied uh, the Old Testament almost exclusively and written several books and commentaries on the wisdom literature found there, he said when Solomon writes about wisdom, what he is talking about when he writes about wisdom and living righteously in a way that honors God, He says what he means by that, what Solomon means by that, to live in a way that honors God, to live righteously, is that when we disadvantage ourselves and give the advantage to somebody else, 
And he says to live in a wicked way or a foolish way, it basically boils down to we take advantage of somebody else. We put them at a disadvantage so that we receive an advantage. He said this is not the way God has called us to live, and it's not the way God's leader, His Savior that He sends to us, His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, shows us how to live. The gospel message is full of the idea of living in a wise way that is righteous, God-honoring, where Jesus puts himself at a disadvantage so that we can be put at an advantage. That's the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to be in a relationship with God, but we've rebelled against God. We've pushed away from his laws and his commands, and we've done things our own ways to advantage ourselves. And when we rebelled against God and disobeyed, that broke our relationship with God. The only way it can be healed is through Jesus Christ. He comes, he leaves, his, he leaves heaven where he is glorified and praised. He hides his glory behind his humanity. He takes on humanity, becomes human. He's fully God and fully human at the same time. I don't understand how it works, but he does it because he's God. And then he lives in such a way where he puts himself at a disadvantage over and over and over again so that we could reap the benefits of that, so we could have life. And then ultimately he does this. He sacrifices himself to death, even death on the cross, so that we could live. Listen, the Bible is really clear that the whole message is about this one person sacrificing himself so that we could live and live in such a way that honors Jesus and imitates his lifestyle. That's why there's a command in Scripture that we should daily spiritually sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. We're supposed to follow Jesus, showing this type of wisdom, living in this righteous way. And so when Paul tells the church at Ephesus, when he says, live with wisdom, don't live unwise, but live as wise, make the most of every opportunity, he's talking about living like Jesus lived. Even that's a command Jesus gives us. You go and love as I have loved you. Listen, if anybody ever predicts their own death, and resurrection, which Jesus did. He predicted, they're going to come and arrest me, they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die. And three days later, I will come back from the dead. If anybody predicts their own death and resurrection, we just need to do what they say. And Jesus says, we need to love like he loved. And couldn't our world need more love like Jesus' love today? You want to know the answer to these modern questions and how you should act? Well, you're going to act like Jesus Christ, sacrificially loving other people. And couldn't our world need that more today? Dr. Tom Rayner says that he has noticed that church members are extra grumpy these days. Listen, if church members are extra grumpy, what can you imagine people who live without hope are like? But he mentions some of the reasons why church members are grumpy. He says, number one, we are weary. The cumulative effect of pandemic season is weighing so heavy on us, we are just exhausted. Some of you, I know, are feeling that exhaustion. We are also confused. It's hard to get a consistent answer, even from the experts, on the best way to live. We're fearful because... We don't know all the answers and we're not in control. We feel like we've lost our church because the church doesn't look like it looked four months ago. And the reality is every time we show up, we've lost our church because it's not the same every Sunday we come. But these changes have been so drastic that it has affected our emotions. We're weary of cultural fights. 
Uh, we're stressed because it's the presidential election season. We've been on social media, and social media is this giant magnifying glass for negativity. If you want to get depressed, or if you want to have your feelings hurt, get on Facebook and join Twitter. You will encounter negativity because people will say things and type things on there that they wouldn't tell you to your face ever, and it's usually hurtful. We miss, here's another reason we're, we're grumpy, we miss gathering with our friends at church. We've maybe lost our outward focus because when we get tired and hurt, we start being a little bit more selfish. And we are lamenting and sad that our regular patterns that we got used to have been disrupted. Listen, if the church is feeling this way, the world has got to be feeling it 10 times what we're feeling because they don't even have hope of the afterlife. They don't have hope of peace. They don't have hope that only Jesus Christ offers. So when we are commanded in Ephesians chapter 5 to live as wise, making the most of opportunity, most of every opportunity, what Paul is telling us is we need to go and show people what Jesus looks like through our own actions. Well, how do we know how to do this? How do we know if we are acting in a wise way that honors Christ? How do we know if we're following the will of God? Well, it comes from, and this is why I started with that uh, survey, it comes from reading the Bible. Reading it, interpreting it correctly, understanding what we're reading, and applying it to our lives in obedience. This is how we know what the will of God is. Now, His moral laws haven't changed uh, do not murder, do not steal, um, do not uh, lie. Those moral laws, every culture has. That hasn't changed. That's something God has given to us. But Jesus comes along and he breaks it down even more into everyday life. And he, he gets to the heart of the matter. And he says the heart of the matter is your own heart. The reason we murder is because in our hearts that are sinful, we sometimes practice hate. And Jesus says, the more you read the Scripture, the more that you discover who I am, I'm going to transform you from the inside out and take away your hate and put it, fill, it, fill your heart full of love. He says the reason why we lie is because our hearts are sinful and we want to protect ourselves, maybe make ourselves look better than we are or protect ourselves so we don't get in trouble. But he said, listen, I'm going to transform you from the inside out and you're only going to care what God thinks about you and then you'll be able to tell the truth all the time. The reason why we steal is because we are selfish and we want things for ourselves. And Jesus says the heart of the matter is that selfishness is destructive. I'm going to transform you to look more like me and I'm going to drive out that selfishness and put in selflessness because you're going to start looking like Jesus. Be transformed and you're not going to steal anymore. This is how we're supposed to live. And as we read the Scripture, we discover all those little nuances that allows us to live in love, sacrificially, and peace with others. I'd like to point out a couple of things that we can do here. One is um, we have to read it a little bit every day. Now, some of us are maybe our slow readers or maybe slow comprehenders. Uh, one pastor I know who has written over a hundred different books said he's just not a fast reader. He comprehends slowly. So what he has done over the last 70 years is he has read a little bit, 15 minutes every day, and he's been through the Bible multiple times. It doesn't matter... Um, Really, the amount you read is the amount we comprehend. So I'm going to recommend that we read the Bible if we want to know what God's will is, but we have to understand what we're reading. So that means we need to read it in community. One of the reasons why God wants us to meet together as a church, even online, is so that we, we are understanding, rightly understanding the Scripture we are reading. Some parts are complicated. 
But when we read it in community, we uh, find out quickly that we don't go off on tangents that do not go along with what God says as easily because we have other Christians who are wise pulling us, reining us back in to help us understand what we're reading. A friend of mine told me many years ago um, that God had told her to divorce her husband, move away, and live in another state. And I said, how do you know God told you this? And she said, because I feel like it was right. But if we had been reading the Scripture together in community, we could have looked at all the passages of Scripture that says God really hates divorce. He's not going to command you to do something He hates. We would have been able to look at the Scripture that talks about how we're supposed to submit to our spouses out of love because of reverence for Christ, and God wouldn't tell you to abandon your spouse. We would be able to look at the Scripture that says um, how we're supposed to protect and love people and show mercy and grace and patience. And we would have seen that she had interpreted the passage of Scripture incorrectly, and it wasn't God who was speaking to her. We need to do that in community. We not only need to do it in community, like the church members, small groups, but we also need to do it with the church that has gone before us. Countless times I have found uh, uh, commentaries and um, uh, authors that have thought long and hard about Scripture and have seen uh, the wisdom in Scripture that I missed and they teach me through what they write and what they record and how they look at the Scripture. And I'm able to learn from our church fathers from centuries ago, from decades ago, and even in current times, I'm able to read how other Christians interpret the passage of Scripture that show us what God's will is and how we should live. So I recommend to you, if you want to know God's will, it's not that we need to look for signs or get a feeling. We need to look in the Scripture to see how He wants us to live. We need to do that in community with the church, helping us to understand it, prayerfully asking God, open our eyes to this Scripture, and then we need to obey it. We need to obey what we read. There is a clear warning in Scripture that if we understand what we're reading and we understand the command and we don't obey it, there's a clear warning that God will allow us to become spiritually deaf and spiritually dumb the more we disobey what the Scripture says. But the more we obey what it says, the clearer God's will becomes for our life. That's a warning we need to heed, and it happens in the Old and New Testament that if we ignore God's clear commands, He will allow us to go down paths that lead nowhere and to death. He does not want that for us, but He will allow us to do that. But the more we obey what Scripture tells us, what God tells us to do, the more we will be on a right path that leads to peace and life. This is how Scripture works. This is how God's will works. And this is what happens when we say, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Well, we read the Scripture, we read it in community, we obey it. But there might come a time, there might come a time where um, we're not pressed with a moral issue. So the moral issue for God, the moral commands He has given, they, they've never changed. But we might be pressed with, if I could go off on a tangent just a little bit, we might be pressed with an option between two good choices. What is God's will for my life with these two good choices? And the Scripture doesn't necessarily talk about where I should go have a job or whether I should marry at this time or whether I should have the wedding during COVID season. 
So what we need to do is we need to read the Scripture, we read it in community, and then we seek out wise counsel from Christians that we really trust that are more mature than us in our faith. And when we do that, we're going to be able to determine God's will. Dr. Henry Cloud, a psychologist, a Christian psychologist, he says that after we read the Scripture and we seek out wise counsel, if we still don't have a good answer, just go have a good time with your friends because life is too short to be worried about something that is between two good options. I say, go on and make the choice. After you weigh your option, you seek out good counsel, you've read the Scripture, go on and make the choice that feels good to you. Because at that point, you're going to be under God's will, but you're also going to be under His umbrella where He says, trust me. The reason why we oftentimes seek out God's will between two good choices is because we're afraid we're going to make a mistake and it's going to mess up our future. But God always calls us, and this is found in His will, to trust Him with our future. So even if we make a mistake, He promises mysteriously, supernaturally, He's going to make it okay. Because we're trying to stay under the umbrella of doing what He says. We can trust Him with tomorrow. So we need to know the Scripture to know God's will. And when we know the Scripture and we rightly interpret it, we seek out wise counsel, we're going to make the right decision. And so we can start looking at these modern questions and wondering what we should do, and we'll be able to answer it. I'll give you an example. And uh, hold with me. I know it's got some political baggage with it. But let's just say we're talking about climate change. Now, the Scripture doesn't have that phrase in it. And uh, don't even get me started on the political baggage with it that it changed from global warming to climate change because uh, there was snow where there wasn't supposed to be snow anymore and the earth was supposed to be too warm. Or don't even talk about how climate change is so broad a spectrum that anything, any kind of fear can fit into it because, of course, the climate changes. Every season it changes. Now, I'm not a scientist. And I don't know if the ocean is rising at a rapid pace or a slow pace. And I don't know if it's man-made cause or just natural uh, how the world, how God set up the world, that sometimes we'll have hot seasons, sometimes we'll have cold seasons. But I do know what God's will is. He says we need to look for ways to love people, and we need to especially love the people who are hurting. If, if, if the oceans are rising and there are communities of people who will be displaced, Our job as Christ followers is to go and help and love those people who are displaced. We're to open up our homes for them. We're to welcome them in. We're to feed them and we're to love them because they're hurting. That's God's will. It's easy. I know what God's will is because He says in Scripture, I need to take care of my body physically and I need to take care of the earth as as an image bearer of God. We have responsibilities to take care of the things He's created. So after I know that as His will, I'm allowed to go and do the things that are helpful for my community. I'm allowed to go and do the things that are helpful for people who are hurting. And I'm allowed to do the things that take care of creation. I know what God's will is. So I don't have to spend time debating the political part of climate change because I know what God's will is, and it's to seek sacrificially loving others and bringing them peace. You see how God's Word, His will, becomes really clear in even complicated modern-day questions. But we have to read it, and we have to understand it to know it. Here's your call to action with this first point. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Uh, It's about the middle of the Bible. It is divided into 31 chapters. 
So what is easy to do, it's easy to take one chapter of whatever day it is and read that chapter. If you want to write down notes on things you can do, here is something you can do straight away. Read whatever chapter of Proverbs it is that corresponds with the date on the calendar. So you're only one chapter behind if you want to start for August. Today is August 2nd. You can read chapter 2 of Proverbs, start getting that reading under your belt. It won't take you 15 minutes, even if you're a slow reader, to read a single chapter of Proverbs. But here's what you can do with your remaining time if you're just going to spend 15 minutes in in that chapter. As we read the Scripture, sometimes uh, a verse becomes radioactive to us. It just speaks to us as if God is using the Holy Spirit to point out something we need to see. As you read, whatever verse sticks out to you for whatever reason and whatever pressure, Just take that verse and memorize it. And it won't take you very long because it's only about a sentence probably. Proverbs has these little sentence blurbs about how to act and react to people around you. How to act with love and wisdom, disadvantaging yourself to give somebody else the advantage. Acting like Jesus Christ has these little snippets that teach us how to live. Memorize that and then meditate on it. Meditation is kind of scary, but it works like this. We just think about what we read and all the ways we can apply it to every part of our life. You think about what you've read and then how to apply it in every single situation of your day. That's meditation. For example, when I think about what I've read, what is the best way to apply it to my morning when I wake up? What is the best way to apply it as I'm driving my kids? I have a a small, quick moment where it's just me and them. What's the best way to apply it as I'm driving them to where they have to go? What's the best way to use my time based on the verse I've memorized as I go in between work and I listen to my radio? What's the best way to use my time when I encounter somebody just in the store? Or when I encounter that person at the front of the store and says, you can't come in because we have too many people in there right now and we have to wait right here for somebody else to come out to go in. Have you encountered that yet? Whether you're wearing a mask or not? Well, how can you apply what you've learned about God's will, showing love, sacrificing yourself to give the advantage? What can you do to apply that to that person you encounter? One preacher He uh, always tries to introduce himself and tell people what he does for a living. I'm a pastor of a church. And he said if they don't run away, he knows he has an opportunity to tell them about Jesus Christ. And he talks about how Jesus Christ has changed his life and has offers a change for everybody who follows him. And he uses that opportunity. We make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He uses that opportunity to introduce one more person to the glory and love of Jesus Christ. Be very careful then how you should live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. People are feeling the evil part of our days and they are worn out. This is our opportunity to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. And this also answers most modern day questions. Number two, though, we also, um, Scripture, Paul here says, we need to speak Scripture to each other. Now, if you're not reading it, you're not memorizing it, you're not meditating on it, you won't be able to speak it to anybody. Um, Here's what he says in Ephesians. Um, 
Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now specifically, Paul says, speak psalms to one another. That's another book found in our, the very middle of our Bible. It's part of our library that God has given to us. And psalms are these poems that deal with every human emotion and every, circum, every type of circumstances that people go through. But it ends, it ends with this idea that God is in control and He's going to rescue you. He is going to take care of you and He loves you. Well, the Scripture, Paul says, hey, if you want to know the will of God, you want to make the most of opportunity, you need to speak those psalms to each other. Well, the only way that you can speak psalms to each other is if you memorize what the psalms are. That serves for every Scripture. I think we're allowed to speak any Scripture to somebody. I got into a um, Facebook disagreement the other day. And uh, again, if you want to have negativity magnified, you can just get on Facebook. And this person called me uh, some names and said I wasn't a very moral person, which is fine. Um, And they said I wasn't good. And they thought better. And it was kind of crazy. And and I was was able to speak Scripture back. I said, hey, you know, you, you might be right. I may not be a very good person because the Scripture says there's only one person who is good, and that's Jesus Christ. I might be as bad as you say I am. But I still know that Planned Parenthood kills more black babies than any other amount of babies in all of the U.S. That's what they were mad about. Can we, we, we don't have to connect any political baggage to Planned Parenthood. We know that their main operation is abortion, right? They might do other medical activities, but mainly they just kill babies. We don't, that's not political. That's just fact. Okay. Anyway, that, that's, that's what they were mad about. But, I, but since I had that scripture in my mind, I was able to use it. And so Paul says, hey, we need to speak these psalms to each other. And then he gives us a little leeway. I love the leeway he gives us. He, he says, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Uh, next week, we're going to have a baptism. And I was thinking about that baptism last night. And um, this this uh, young man, he's going to commit his life to Christ. And he's, he's going to be baptized right over here. And um, he's going to be buried in Jesus' death and raised to life by faith in Jesus Christ. And when I was growing up, we sang this little uh, hymn that went along with somebody being baptized. C.S. Lewis says a lot of our hymns are second-rate poetry set to third-rate music. But for some reason, sometimes they stick with me. And when I was growing up, the, the hymn that we sang after somebody was baptized, it, it goes like this. And some of you who grew up in the church, you'll remember it. Now he belongs to Jesus. Anybody remember that song? Jesus belongs to him. I'm sorry if you're at home listening to me sing because the microphone's right in your ear. Not for the years of life alone but for eternity. And I kept thinking of that song for this young man who's going to give his life to Christ because that hymn kept rolling over in my mind. And you know what? I'm going to be able to speak that to him next week when he comes to give his life to Christ. I'm going to say, you know what? Jesus is yours. Not for just your lifetime, but he's guaranteed you eternal life. You are his and he is yours and you're going to be able to grow in faith and I'm going to be able to speak a word of encouragement to that young man just from a song that somebody made up about the Bible. 
Paul says, hey, you need to speak psalms to each other, but if there are songs that are made up about the Bible or they're made up about Scripture and you've got to memorize because you've been listening to them or you grew up with them, speak that to each other because it's going to be an encouraging word and it's going to help lift up somebody. And you know what? It's not even a disadvantage to give somebody an advantage if you just give them an encouraging word. It's just win-win. And I love how Paul says, you want to know the will of the Lord? You need to go give encouraging words to one another. You need to speak the Scripture. And as you do that, you're going to be fulfilling the will of God. And you know, when we get to those modern questions and we get attacked or we feel like attacking, remember this little phrase, you need to speak Scripture, hymns, and be in gratitude as you have these conversations. This is especially important if you're on social media. Don't, don't give in and don't help produce more negativity on social media. Be positive. Be encouraging. Speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect. And finally, uh, this last point of Scripture is we need to not only know Scripture, we need to speak Scripture to know God's will, but we also need to live Scripture. And this is verse uh, 21 out of Ephesians 5. It's a general statement, it's a general command to all Christians, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what that means is, and it's just reiterating God's will for us, that we sacrificially love Someone else. We put ourselves at a disadvantage to give somebody the advantage. We end up looking like Jesus Christ. We follow His command. A new command I give you, love as I have loved you. The command to spiritually make a sacrifice of your bodies every day so that you can lift up somebody else. This is what this is referring to here in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. Because you love Jesus, and what He has done for you. Because you honor Jesus and are in reverent fear of Him, because you want to obey Him and worship Him, you're going to act like Him to everyone you encounter. This is a way to answer those modern questions with our actions, with our words, and even with our thoughts when we seek to honor others and put others above ourselves. This is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is a great expression of what God has done for you as you go to share this type of lifestyle with others. This works in all relationships. Paul goes on in Ephesians. You can read it at home if you'd like, or you can read it a little bit later. He goes on to say, this is what submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is going to look like in your family. But it works in every relationship, whether you have a coworker or you have a family member or you have someone that you're interacting with on social media. When you submit out of reverence for Christ and you look to act with wisdom, disadvantaging yourself to give them advantage, you are acting and fulfilling the will of God. This is the way to live. We have to know the Scripture. We have to speak the Scripture. And we have to live the Scripture. There's a scene with Jesus Christ as He meets with His disciples the night He's betrayed. And it, 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 it's all wrapped around this meal He's having called communion. Would you go on and take out your communion cups? And you can go ahead and open that top part and get the bread out. Uh, I had one in the first hour and I forgot to grab one for second hour. Uh, I might have Pat throw me one from all the way in the back there. Little communion cup. Uh, Jesus is meeting with His disciples 
and uh, he's at this meal and he is uniting them to him through this meal. And he says, this bread is, is my body. This cup is the blood of the new covenant. Thank you. Thank you for that. I just walked off the camera. <gasps> oh, no, no. Good thing these are sealed. He's having this meal with his disciples. He said, this bread, it unites us. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. He said, this cup, it unites us. I want you to remember this cup uh, of the blood that was sacrificed on the cross. My blood, every time you get together. And then he did something scandalous. During the meal, he got up. They're, they're all eating together. He got up, he took his outer garment off, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured a, water, a basin full of water, and he began to wash their feet at the dinner table. This is gross. They sit on the floor. Their feet are already too close to the dinner table as it is. But their feet, bent in sandals, walking in the desert, and sometimes that isn't dirt they're walking through. This is scandalous. You don't do this at dinner. You definitely don't do it if you are the leader and rabbi because washing feet is only meant for slaves. The, the idea that you would wash somebody fe somebody's feet puts you at a disadvantage and gives the advantage to somebody else. It sacrifices your comfort and gives comfort and peace to somebody else. It lowers yourself and puts somebody else above you. Jesus says, if you're going to be united with me, in forgiveness and grace, you have to be united with me in the will of God to serve others. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.